Good morning, everyone. Uh, I know most of you, my name is Clayton Feltz, I get the humble privilege of serving as the associate pastor here, but I also know there are quite a few faces I don't know, and so I just wanted to introduce myself. Um, man, at one moment, just a second ago, when we were singing, what a beautiful name, what a beautiful name is Jesus, I looked around, and what, what a moment to see God's people with their arms raised, just crying out to him. So we're going to continue our series in Daniel chapter 6 today, but ultimately that's what I hope everyone leaves here with, seeing Jesus better. With that, I want to start with this. This week, Fed Chair Jerome Powell raised interest rates again in the United States to help tackle inflation. And I actually looked up this morning what the inflation rate is currently in the United States, and it is at 6%. And I hear a lot that there are people who are, gosh, this is so bad, things are costing so much more, and that's true, and it's annoying, and it's not great, and we all hope it goes down. But history would show us that this is not even close to being the worst it's been in the United States. Now, I know we have a younger church, but for those who have a little more gray hair, um, you probably remember this, that in 1980, the inflation rate in the United States was 12.8%. 12.8. And that was bad. But to our friends across the pond in Great Britain in 1980, they were living with an inflation rate of 17.99%. How in the world did they survive? <laughs> well, there was a lady who was their prime minister named Margaret Thatcher. Her nickname was the Iron Lady because she was known for standing strong, standing to her convictions. And in October of 1980, with a crazy inflation rate, those in the opposition party and even those in her conservative party were rallying around her to say, Margaret, Madam Prime Minister, you got to change course. This isn't working. We're going downhill. And yet, Here's what she said in Parliament. She said, if our people feel that they are part of a great nation and they are prepared to will the means to keep it, then a great nation we shall be and shall remain. So what can stop us from achieving this? What then stands in our way? The prospect of another winter of discontent? I suppose it might. To those waiting with bated breath for the favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I only have one thing to say. You turn if you want to. This lady's not for turning. She said that because she knew things were hard, but she also knew her way was going to work. That she held to her convictions. That she would not compromise on what she knew was true. And ultimately, inflation did come down in Britain. It also eventually came down over the next couple of years in the United States. My point is that she didn't compromise on the truth. And so I want to start out this morning by simply asking you this question. What are things in your life you would not be willing to compromise on? What are those things in your life you wouldn't be willing to compromise on. See, because I think it's easy to think about those things, and, it's, and surely there are hopefully things in your life you say, that's where the line to the sand's drawn. 
But when push comes to shove, when darkness comes in, when the tension starts to pull on you and rise, what are those things? We live in a time where most things are very transactional, right? I do something for you, you do something for me. What can I get out of this? That's why I do it. But what we're going to look at today as we continue our series of Daniel is Daniel didn't operate that way. Daniel didn't have his value in things of this world. His value was not reciprocal. His value was in the Lord and something true. And in that, he would not compromise. He wouldn't even compromise if it meant death. We've been in this book of Daniel and, and the big idea in the series of Daniel is how do we as believers live in Babylon without Babylon living in us? And this series has been about that. This chapter is very much in that same nature. In fact, Daniel chapter 6 is probably the most famous section of Scripture in all of Daniel. It's one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. It is Daniel and the lion's den. But what I will hope to show you this morning is that it's more than just a story that maybe children learn in City Kids. That there's some context that leads up to Daniel ever getting into the den of lions. Because see, Daniel is writing this book. He's writing this to the sojourners and the exiles of Israel who have been captive in Babylon for over 70 years. And now that's ending because the Persians have come in and they have taken over Babylon. And yet the Babylonians really assimilated over that time. Right? We see that in Psalm 139.2 when it talks about that they, when they were captured, they hung their harps in the willow trees. It was a sad picture of they had no song to sing. There was no joy in their hearts. And yet Daniel never lost that. Daniel went through hard thing after hard thing, but yet he remembered who his North Star was. What's it's amazing if you look at the life of Daniel is a couple of things that always stand out throughout the book, and especially in this chapter. Number one, he doesn't complain. You don't see a lot of complaining out of Daniel. Number two, he doesn't quit. Number three, he doesn't act like a victim in a time where we just, man, we love victimhood a lot, right? It's always someone else's fault. Don't, it's not my fault, right? Just turn on the news for two seconds and, and you'll see an interview with like a leading politician. It's always someone else's, it's not them. I mean, honestly, when's the last time you ever heard someone go, you know what? I messed up. That's on me. That's on me. I, I messed up. Like that didn't happen. Like I, listen, I have a background and career in public relations. The whole point of it is reframing. And Daniel never does that. Never. He never seeks his own glory. He never had a 10-point plan of, if I can do this and manipulate this and do this, and I'll get in front of this king, and, and then I'll serve him, but that's really to get me higher. Look, he's just faithful to the Lord. He worked for the Lord and not for man. Which leads us to Daniel chapter 6. We see Daniel at the end of chapter 5, Babylon is being overthrown by the Persians. He's interpreted the writing on the wall, and now King Darius comes into play. And King Darius and Daniel had a, a, a good relationship for all that we see here. And so we set the stage that Darius is elevating Daniel 
And it says in verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, right? You have 120, then you have the three whom Daniel was one. And Daniel is going to help the king run his kingdom, run his government, to keep account as he should, as a public official. But yet, as we see in verse 3, it says, Then this, Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel, we see here, is working in a way that is honoring God. He has this excellent spirit in him. He is above reproach. And he's doing this in a manner that people are taking notice. King Darius took notice and goes, hey, Daniel, you're already elevated. I'm going to elevate you more. Basically, I'm going to make you kind of the prime minister. Why? Because the spirit of God was in him. It wasn't on Daniel's amazingness. It's because Daniel knew where his strength came from. And so we see this comparison, Daniel living in that way, and these officials living in another way, who believe they're owed something. Right? I mean, honestly, we live in a little bit of a polarizing time. When have you ever seen every official, local, state, and federal, come together on one issue? Like, does that happen in America? Like, it just doesn't. Like, that's hard for us to, to understand. And what you see here is all these officials come together and they go, hey, we've got something in common here. We don't want Daniel to achieve that. No, 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 no. There is bitterness, sinfulness, jealousy in their heart. And now they're going to go after Daniel. But when they go after him, they can't find anything. Listen, Daniel wasn't manipulating that. He was just living with an excellent spirit. I love the anonymous quote, the lion's share of the gospel work is done by overlooked saints who labor anonymously on their little acre of the kingdom of God. That's Daniel. Obviously, we're, we're talking about Daniel, so he's not anonymous, but he just kept being faithful for what God was bringing him to. At the same time, listen, in this time, Daniel is old. Like, Daniel's not a young man here. He's in his upper 80s. He's pushing 90. And so just an encouragement, those of you who have a little more gray hair, I'm finding a little more gray hair in my hair each, each week. Um, those who are getting older or in that season of, of an older age, man, God's, God's still working through Daniel in that season, which means he can also still work through you. Like we need people who have experience, wisdom, and discernment because they've walked through the battles of life. Listen, Daniel was faithful in chapter 6 because what started in chapter 1. And for those who are not at that season, not at the end of their life, I want to say this. Listen, we have a younger church. Start planting those seeds of faithfulness now. Don't waste it. Because that's 
Daniel, he started in chapter 1 through prayer that God is going to lift him up and he's going to continue that all the way through. So these officials come and they can't find anything on Daniel and here's what they say in verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document in injunctions. What we see is, again, they can't find any skeletons in Daniel's closet. When Daniel's head hits the pillow every night, Daniel can sleep peacefully knowing he lives a life of integrity. Living a life doing what is honorable to the Lord. And they realize it. Look, they go, we've been digging and we just can't find anything. So what do they do? Well, we'll make something up. We'll actually provide some fake news. We'll try to figure out something that Daniel's done wrong. Well, he, we can't figure that out. So what does Daniel do? Oh, Daniel worships God. And that can't be good, so we'll use that against him, and we'll do it quickly. We're not going to put an injunction forever. Oh, no, 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 King Darius, this is only for 30 days. And so they go to King Darius, and what they do is they build him up. They stroke his ego. And he goes, all right, I'll sign it. I'll sign it. It's a reminder of the quote I heard that it's always windiest at the top. That's Daniel here. And yet, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when things as followers of Christ come against us. Look, throughout church history, it's typically in the minority that the church grows the most. The first 300 years in the in the. In the early church, you see in Acts, the, the church took off and it wasn't legal for them to do what they were doing. It grew in an incredible way because it was so radically different that people had to go, gosh, they really believe what they believe. Or either they're crazy, but I think they believe what they believe. And it made people stand up and take notice. That is Daniel here. He's going to stick to his convictions, but he is going to be persecuted it is a reminder what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 11 when he talks about that he has endured persecution. He says this, and yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all, not some, not a few, not a couple, not the all-star Christians. No, no, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. But guys, that's an encouragement. Daniel realized this because Daniel's world is about to be flipped upside down. He's going to go from the top to the bottom like this. Maybe that's not you with a den of lions, but maybe that's just life right now. Maybe business is good until it's not. And suddenly it feels like life is really hard. Maybe marriage seems great at a moment, but then, man, an expectation's not met, and now it, you start to doubt. Maybe you put hope in a new promotion or a new job, and it just doesn't work out, and you just go, I don't understand. Or maybe like Daniel, 
there are coworkers or friends or what you think are allies, and they start gossiping, start building up a false case against you, slandering you. And you've done nothing to deserve that. But they're doing it simply to build themselves up. See, what's interesting is this happens quickly for Daniel. It was a sudden change. And often that's how life works. The darkness comes so fast. And we want to run, we want to get out of it because it's hard. Darkness seems to always move in a hurry, and yet God's kingdom, God's pace seems to often move at a different speed. Right? Jesus was in his 30s before he started his public ministry. Abraham was old before he saw the promises of God. Daniel is 90 here. That's why God's kingdom is described like a mustard seed or an olive tree. It takes time to build up and grow strong. But oh, but when it does, it produces fruit. See, Daniel was distinguished, but Daniel was also despised. He lived a life distinguished as we see in verse 3, and then we see in this section, he was despised because of it. May we be encouraged that sometimes if we do what is right, people will come against you. And as hard as that is, and as easy as we start wanting to take things in our own hands, may we always remember that vengeance is the Lord's, that our strength comes from him. Then we see in verse 10 that the Daniel knew the document had been signed. And he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked, his hands are tied. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pay no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Listen, what is so interesting here is Daniel knew what was happening. It says it right there. Daniel knew. But look how he reacted. Look how he responded. I mean, honestly, if, if you're Daniel in this situation, if I'm Daniel in this situation, and someone is plotting against us, and we have done nothing to deserve it. How do you react? I mean, honestly, the first thing I want to do is get a little mad. I want to try to control it. I want to try to manipulate it. I want to try to go against them. I've done nothing. Like, I love, I love my son, Tyler, who is eight. And one of his favorite sayings when he was younger is, I did nothing wrong. <laughs> that's what he used to say. And sometimes he did. Sometimes he didn't. Right? Like, that's what I want to scream out. I did nothing. Daniel doesn't do that. He says he went back and he prayed like he has continually over and over and over. Listen, is that your response? When things are unjustly against you, that's Daniel's. That's Daniel's. 
He prays. He rests, knowing he could cry out to the Father and the Father would hear him. And I think too often, look, too often people look at this part of Scripture and, and they want to be very literal, like that's how we should pray, like we should open a window, drop to our knees, that's how Daniel prayed. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. It reminds me of the poem by uh, an Irish gentleman called The Prayer of Cyrus Brown, and I'll read just a little bit of it. It says, the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemon Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. That's Daniel. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and upturned eyes. Oh, but here's Cyrus Brown. Last year I fell in Hopkins' well, head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pinning down. And I made a prayer right then and there, the best prayer I've ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on my head. Isn't that true? Sometimes it is in the darkest moments of our life where our world is flipped that we cry out with the most genuine prayer we can. Look, the point of it is not how Daniel prayed. It is that he prayed. And he had a posture of prayer. And it wasn't a one-time thing. Listen, it happened so much. They knew when he was going to do it, and they could anticipate it, and then they called him. I mean, what would your prayer like be if you were so devoted to prayer that this week someone came and said, I can catch them in prayer because that's what they do every day at this time. Let me ask you this this way. If prayer was banned for the next 30 days, would anything really change in your life? I'm serious. Daniel could have just prayed silently. Daniel could have said, you know what? I'll just take the next 30 days off. It's fine. I mean, after all, I don't want to really be fed to lions. But he didn't. He was devoted to prayer. He knew it was going to cost him. He knew what was happening. And yet he didn't compromise. He stood firm and he kept praying. See, Daniel knew that his character mattered. He knew his character mattered. He was going to be true to God even when it may cost. The question is, are we living lives like that. That even if it costs you, even if you lose it all, that's why I ask you at the start, what are areas in your life you are not willing to compromise on? Because see, Daniel was distinguished. He was despised. And what we see here is whew, he was devoted. He was devoted. And then you see in verses 14 through 18 that the king had heard about this. He obviously signed it, but he heard that Daniel was going to pray. And he was distressed. He was distressed. He liked Daniel. He wasn't like, oh, I hate Daniel. I can't wait till he's fed to the lions. Like, no, no, no. He was trying to figure out a way to rescue him. And yet, because Persia, the Persians, are now in control of Babylon, his hands are done. He can't do anything. It says, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. That he realizes, you know what? I labored. I'm trying to figure out a way to rescue him, and I can't. It is what it is. I've got to follow through. 
And so he tells Daniel in verse 16, this is going to happen. You're going to be cast into the den of lions, but he's a little of hope that you can see the gospel, that seed is being planted in King Darius, that God may be who he says he is. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. It's almost like King Darius wants to believe. Like he's seen Daniel live a distinguished life. He sees Daniel react after he is come against. And yet he sees Daniel's faithfulness and he goes, Daniel, I can't help you. I'm trying. But man, I hope your God is who he says he is. Because you know what? If he can do that, that'd be great. That being said, hey, Daniel, I still got to cast you in there. And so a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it in his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing may be changed concerning Daniel. And it says, Then the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought to him, and slept, fled from him. Right? So in this time, in this time where Babylon and Persia lived, and in this era of, of how people operated, those royals, those who were affluential, may have exotic pets. Now, they, hadn't, they didn't have a lion like a dog. It wasn't like they were bringing him up and just petting him and saying, like, good boy. Like, I told Zach, that if I could have got a lion up here, I totally would have. But then, then we would have all just spent time praying that I wouldn't have been eaten. And so, at the end of the day, they, they, they have these animals that are there. And what they would normally do is they would send them down to the den, the habitat, on a ramp or something like that. And the lions would go down there, and they would sleep, and they would hang out, and they would eat there. And so what they would do then is they have possibly like this little circle, this hole, this opening, and they would drop their food down. So it's, it's anticipating, the lions are anticipating their food coming through that hole, right? So when it's opening and they're looking up and they're like, oh boy, it's dinner time, right? It's like when I feed my dog dinner, like he's ready for it. And the lions are ready for it. And yet, who's being lowered down the hole? Daniel, Daniel, old man Daniel. And this, the stone is sealed on top of it with the signet because in the, in the case that Daniel tries to es <clears throat> excuse me, escape, which he can't, or cry out, or go, this is too much, or like you hear the cries and you just go like, ah, oh, you got to open it and get him out of there, right? The signet's like, hey, you're not opening it. It's finished. And so Daniel's going to be lowered down there, and yet the king is the one that can't sleep. Instead, it, it fled him. It's so interesting, that scene there, that the king couldn't sleep in a palace, and yet Daniel slept perfectly with lions. The king couldn't deliver him, but God could. And so therefore, Daniel knew, yes, he was distinguished, he was despised, he was devoted, but ultimately, ultimately, and where we can be encouraged this morning, is Daniel delighted in his deliverer. In verse 19, it then says, Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste. He went in a hurry to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He was hoping, oh, please, like I said, hope he does it, but I haven't been sleeping all night. I'm, Oh gosh, please. And he goes and he runs there and Daniel responds. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth 
And they have not harmed me because I have found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad. It pleased Darius that Daniel was okay and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. He trusted in God. The king couldn't save him, but God could. And listen, sometimes we can look at this story of Daniel in the lion's den, and we can think of almost, like I said earlier, almost like a kid's story. Like, yay, God rescues us. But don't dismiss that. Don't shrink God down. God is still in the miracle business today. And maybe it's not an actual lion's den that you're in. But God can still rescue you too. See, the beauty of the truth of Scripture is we see that God does rescue Daniel. And yet then we see in Hebrews 11 that there are others who are fed to lions. And it says, yet their faithfulness was still good. Regardless of how it works out, the point of it is it's not you, it is your deliverer. I love Sinclair Ferguson when he refers to this section of Scripture. He talks about that the hand of the kingdom of darkness seeking to annihilate the kingdom of God here. That you see the picture of of the kingdom of darkness and you see Daniel being lowered down like I've won, stones being put on. And God's like, "Mm mm-mm, nope. No way. Which is the perfect picture of what this story ultimately reminds us of. Which is, Daniel is great, but there is a better Daniel and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the better Daniel. In Matthew 26, we see the parallels of Daniel 6. It says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they also, they found none. And though many false witnesses came forward, sound familiar? At least two came forward and said, the man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And verse 63 says, but Jesus remained silent. The Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the one that holds the stars in his hand, the one was there that separated light and darkness. Who could have destroyed him in that moment? Is silent by choice. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tells us, if you are the Christ, the Son of God, are you who you you say you are, Jesus? And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That Jesus did not deny who he was, but he made the choice to go through it anyways because of me and because of you. There was false testimony against Jesus and they found none. But he remained silent. He remained truthful because he also trusted the Father even upon death. And he did it for us. What's interesting is then a chapter later, 
you see a similar story where an earthly ruler tries to make sure the power of God is not doable. It says the next day that that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, <laughs> imposter, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. See, they, they made the mistake just like King Darius and, and the other false witnesses did against Daniel. They thought they could seal him away with guards and a stone. And it's kind of laughable. We know the rest of the story. The disciples were not going to come take Jesus' body. They were scared to death. They were in hiding. And Pilate shuts the tomb, and I would imagine his, his signet would be on that. And, and yet, the power of God was more powerful than Pilate. It was more powerful than King Darius. It was more powerful than the false witnesses. It was more powerful than those who plotted against Daniel, those who plotted against Jesus, that the tomb, the darkness, the grave itself death itself could not hold. Listen, things in your life may be hard. And maybe you really have done nothing wrong. Maybe it's just a hard season. A lot of people I know this morning going through a lot of hard things. Heck, maybe because I was preaching this week, I haven't had the best week. Maybe things are hard because, man, you just haven't lived a life like Daniel. Maybe it's been by your poor choices. Man, I want to encourage you this morning in that too. I think of the criminal who was hanging on the cross beside Jesus, who had done nothing to clean himself up, and yet he believed Jesus was who he said he was. And Jesus said he would be in paradise with him that very day. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's grace out of the finished work of Christ that I can't clean myself up and neither can you. It is what Jesus did for us. This morning, we have hope. That's what this story is. It is a story of hope. Hope in the one that raised from the dead. Hope in the one that defeated darkness once and for all. Hope in the one that told the man on the mat to stand or told the woman in the, at the well to raise up. That beautiful picture of she is down and he raises her up. That's why we have hope. That's what we get to celebrate in two weeks with Easter when we gather for that. The resurrection of our King. So this week, here's what I hope. I hope, I hope that we live a life this week 
in a distinguished way. Knowing where our value and our worth comes from. That we are created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. That we don't work for man, we work for the Lord. I hope that we spend some time in prayer, like Daniel. That we are devoted to prayer. And most importantly, most importantly, I hope day by day we are reminded and the hope we have in Jesus who delivers us. No matter what we're going through, no matter how hard things can be, we can have hope in Jesus himself who suffered on our behalf. We worship a God who was a suffering Savior. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for the fact that, God, you are good, that you welcome our prayers, that we can cry out to you, Abba, Father, and you hear us, that all power is in you, and yet you love us personally, sinful us. God, that only happens because of the finished work of you, Jesus. Lord, may we not shrink you down this morning. May we remember that you are truly powerful, that you are still in the miracle business today, just like you were when Daniel faced the lion. And whether the things turn out well or things turn out not so well, we can trust your goodness, that you have a perfect plan for our life. So Lord, as we continue to worship, I pray that we do so with a heart and mind, trusting in your spirit, trusting in who we are made to be, which is people who love you with our, all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, all our strength, everything in us, we love you, Lord. And out of that love, too, we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love you, Jesus. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.